Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and descended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, July 2nd, we are studying James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. The imminent coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is the grounds for Christian patience during these days of suffering, as the Lord was merciful to Job in his suffering and patience, so the Lord is merciful to his Christians still. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Zelwyn Heidi. Pastor Heidi serves as pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. He's also one of the hosts of the podcast, A Word Fitly Spoken. Pastor Heidi, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure as always. So we're nearing the end of the epistle of James here, Pastor Heidi. We've covered a lot of ground. James, as we've seen, sometimes makes very clear connections to the preceding text. Sometimes it's a a connection maybe to elsewhere in the book. As we prepare to look at these verses here in chapter 5, what do we need to know going in? I think what we're seeing here is a... There is a connection to what was coming before in chapter five, but it's not, it's one that's not readily apparent. I mean, he's kind of making an opposite point from the one he just made. So when you follow his train of thought going through this chapter, I think you'll be able to see what he's doing, but we kind of got to break that down step by step. So what, what was he doing previously and how are we going to see him go the opposite direction or make the opposite point here? Well, in the previous section in this chapter, in chapter 5, his warning is very clearly against the those who you know, are taking comfort in their riches. They kind of se- think that they're self-sufficient. They are oppressing the poor. They are causing all kinds of evil in the world. Okay, But now when we get to verse 7, where we're starting today, and I mean, whenever we get to reading that, we're starting to see a shift. And he's basically saying, okay, this is the situation that you are in, brothers. But now we can learn to be patient even in the midst of evil. So it's kind of a, this was, I, I made my point to you guys before, but now I'm talking to, you know, the people who need to be comforted, those who are actually being oppressed by those kinds of people. So in, in the first part of this chapter, then we've got those who are committing a sin. And here we're going to be talking more to those who are being sinned against, a different sort of a comfort here rather than the warning that we had previously. Yes. Very yep. good. Very good. Well, then let's let's go ahead and take a look at that text. We're in James chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. That is the text for today, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. So, Pastor Heidi, the first part of the text, the main theme, it seems, is is patience. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Yeah, and I think when we understand that point, that, you know, this idea of being patient, we're going to really get at, like you say, the whole point of this section. I think it's interesting that the word patient here uh, is very often translated in other ways, you know, like long-suffering. In fact, uh, it's used of God in the the Gospel of Luke, where you're talking about the parable of the persistent widow. Uh, You know, does God tarry or does he, you know, wait long over his elect? Um, it's the same idea. This idea of patience 
you know, especially when it seems like it's going to go on forever or when it seems like um, we're not really sure when it's ever going to come to an end, you know, which is why the, the imagery of the farmer is so helpful here because a farmer is waiting for the rains to come. He knows they're going to come, but he has no idea when they're going to come. You know, so he has to be long-suffering. He has to be patient in the midst of this uncertainty. I think the translation long-suffering is helpful because the word patience might be a little abstract sometimes. But the word long-suffering, I think, is helpful because you, you get the idea that when we are to be patient, there is some sort of suffering involved. You, you're waiting for something that you'd rather not be going through, you're waiting for that to come to an end for the joy, for, for something. So there's suffering is entailed in that word patience, it would seem. Yes, very much so, especially in this situation, because uh, as in the previous section, we see the rich who are oppressing the poor, who are you know causing, you know, defrauding their, their neighbors, defrauding their employees and stuff like this, the self-indulgence. The ones who, and therefore the ones who are being sinned against, which is the ones that James is talking to right now, do have to endure a certain amount of suffering, you know, not being paid or being sinned against in other, in lots of different ways. And so being long suffering in the face of evil is really kind of James's point in this section. Uh, what what does that what does that look like concretely this this matter I mean, because again I think patience is a very abstract word long suffering helps mm-hmm. but but what is concretely what does that patience that long suffering look like in the face of evil well I think uh, the use of Job a little bit later in this passage is a helpful one because Job is uh, suffering great evils you know he loses his possessions he loses his children he loses his health. And in all of these things, at least for, you know, majority of the book, although we're not doing a study on the book of Job, you know, he is patient in the face of this evil that he's suffering. The Lord has given us good, which shall we not also receive evil from his hand? This understanding that God is going to give him justice at some point in the future, you know, and knowing that this is all going to be in God's hands and is going to be taken care of whether sooner or later, you know, or at the very end of all things, when he comes to judge living and the dead, gives us the ability to say, you know, yes, I'm suffering this right now. Yes, this is a very difficult thing to bear, but I know that my Redeemer lives. I mean, that's the whole point of, of, of Job chapter 19, right? Right. And we'll, we'll come back to the example of Job too, as, as, as James brings him up and uses him later. But so, yeah, in, in, the, word, in the word patience— there is just directly involved in it the idea of suffering. Some sort of suffering has to be endured, has to be uh, born under. But also within that idea of patience and long suffering is that there is something else coming. That something is coming after this time of suffering, and and it sounds like what you're suggesting is that the end of this time of patience is a matter of justice. I think yes. is the word you used. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, well, this is where you get a lot of the language of the Psalms, for example. You know, you have David or any of the other psalmists who are saying, I am suffering great evil at the hands of these evil men, yet I know that God is my fortress, my strength, that God is going to give back to them the things that they have done, Um, you know, that I will receive justice in the end when I wait on the Lord. You know, God is not forgetting the things that his church is suffering. Um, He does not forget, and he gives us that justice, which maybe we do not receive, you know, in an earthly way. So that all of these evils that we have suffered, all of the things that uh, the the world has brought upon his church, uh, Jesus will eventually sit in triumph over his enemies. You know, go ahead. Well, it, and I was just going to say, I mean, this this brings to mind other themes that we've seen in the book of James. The end of chapter four, one of the ways that we talked about it there was that James James desires Christians to let God be God mm-hmm. and and you be you. And, and there in chapter four, you know, he, he's talking about what are, what, for example, the end of chapter four, you know, don't boast in what you think you're going to do 
today or tomorrow. Rather say, if the Lord wills, we will do these things. In other words, let God be God. Let him hold these things in his hands and let him take care of it. And the same is true when we face evil as Christians. Let God be God. Let him be the one to bring the justice as you wait during this time of suffering look forward to what he's going to do what he has promised let him do his job as god and you you do your job as his as as his people and that simply means to to trust in him to rest in him to wait for him yeah i mean god even says uh, you know vengeance is mine i will repay I mean, that's the, the language of the Old Testament. You know, do not take revenge. You know, don't take these things upon yourselves. Leave it to God who will give you the justice that, that you need, really. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that that's kind of a helpful thing to think about, especially in these days when we are hearing, you know, all kinds of cries for justice and kind of an earthly justice and the, the forms that that takes. But we as Christians can at least take comfort knowing that God will give us the justice that perhaps we could not find here on earth. You know, I, and I think that's why it's so important also to look at the coming of the Lord, which I'm sure you'll get to here in a minute. Um, but, you know, just looking forward to what God is going to do gives us hope, even in the face of tremendous evil. Mm, right. Because, and this is, none of that is to say, I don't, I don't think, Pastor Heidi, we're not saying that it's not important to look for justice in this life. There, right. there, is, there are institutions, there are authorities that God has placed. I think the, the fourth commandment would have something to say that, to this, to see that justice is done in this life. And, and we, even, we even pray against it in the Lord's Prayer. I'm thinking of the seventh petition particularly, where we pray, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one, and all the injustices that he would seek to do to us in this life, or that we would seek to do to each other in our own sinful natures. And so it's not that we're, we're certainly concerned with justice and injustice in this life, and it's good and right for us within our vocations to work toward that. But we're always recognizing, as you said, that in this life, our working toward justice and an ending of injustice will never be fully realized. And and finally, we must wait for the Lord to be the one to bring that full and final justice for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's also helpful to remember here, too, that uh, sometimes there are things that, you know, we're not, we aren't going to get justice because it might be an injustice stemming from, you know, the, those which who are supposed to give us justice. And we see that happen all the time. It also could be things that our world does not consider to be an injustice. You know, to be slandered for the name of Christ, for example, is not considered to be a crime by any government that I know of. But it is an it is an injustice because, you know, it is being attacked by the world. And so we are, yes, we do work for a worldly kind of justice, but we also have to recognize that God is going to give us justice even in those times when we suffer on behalf of his name. Hmm. That was a really good point to make, that there are injustices that Christians suffer in this life that are not considered injustices by the world. And, and those don't typically make the front page of the news or the, the six o'clock news or Fox news or whatever you, you listen to or read. Those sorts of injustices typically don't make the news. And so Christians may simply endure those in this patience that James is talking about until, well, and this is this is where we do need to go, until the Lord's coming. This this idea of patience that James is bringing out here is very much tied to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the last day. Right. Yeah, because on that day when Christ returns in glory uh, to judge the living and the dead, I mean, you have that, that very language of judgment. You know, he is going to bring a judgment of justice he is going to set all things absolutely right, and he will finally, you know, bring to an end all of the things that we have suffered. I mean, so the the, the last day is a glorious day because it is the day in which um, Jesus is establishing his reign. Um, I mean, I, and and what I mean by that is establishing it in the sense of everything is going to finally be set under him. 
to the sense of like, you know, the, the last enemy to be destroyed is death, like to use the language of Paul. Death will come to an end. Um, you know, we will be raised up and we will finally exhibit in our bodies too. And I don't want to get into the resurrection too much, but you know, the, the righteousness, which we have through Christ. So, I mean, everything that is gone wrong is going to be set right, but we don't know when that day is coming. And so that's why we have to be patient. Hmm. Every, everything that is set wrong is going to be set right. And now this, this concept of the last day as a judgment that brings justice is maybe a, a nuance that we don't hear quite as much these days in Christianity. And I, I'm just thinking about my own preaching here. Sure. When I talk about the last day, generally in my preaching and teaching, I'm very much emphasizing the things that are emphasized in the creed, although now that I say that, the creed does emphasize the judgment of the living and the dead. <laughs> but I, I, I generally emphasize what the third article talks about, the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come, or the resurrection of the dead and the, the life everlasting in the right. creed. And so I, I often preach and teach the last day in those ways, which is certainly a, a scriptural, a creedal way. Right. to preach and to talk about the last day, that this is going to be a resurrection of the body. We will enter into eternal life, body and soul, with our Lord Jesus Christ forever. And, and it's a very glorious day in that sense. But the judgment, which is, as I was just talking myself through it, is quite there in the creed. And it's emphasized, I think, especially in the second article with our Lord's second coming, that he will come again in glory to judge both the living and the dead. Is, is maybe a part of the picture... And then again, I'm just talking about myself, that perhaps I've, I've neglected a bit in this matter of, of judgment, that wrong will be made right. There, there will be no more evil, and all that has been evil will be purged away. All injustices will finally be judged and condemned that they haven't received that in this life. Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, so I'm just, I'm just kind of talking through that for myself, but Pastor Heidi, as, as we reflect on this, why is, why is that aspect of Judgment Day important for us to hold on to as Christians? Well, because there is a great hope in it. And I think the reason why so often we shy away from it is because when we think of judgment, we tend to think of judgment as being a very negative thing. You know, I am, I don't want to be judged. And so I'm fearful of being judged. I don't want to receive condemnation. And, you know, maybe that's the reason why we tend to shy away from it. But we have to remember that judgment, even if there is condemnation involved, there is also, you know, a setting right because uh, justice isn't just about, uh, you know, putting down, but justice is also about setting things up again to put it back into balance, as it were, into the place to where it should be. And so for God to be righteous means that he is going to speak a word of justice, which will set things right. And we have hope in that. Because now the justice which I could not find here on earth for whatever it might be, I will receive. God has not forgotten me and, I, and he is going to take care of me even in these things that I have suffered in this life. He's not just going to just cut me adrift and say, oh, well, you know, it's over now. I guess that's the end of it. No, he's going to say, no, I am the Lord. I will make all things new. I think, you know, this this matter of the condemnation that's involved in judgment, I think you're right that we do think about that. And so judgment does have a very negative connotation in our world today. But at the same time, as, as I think about that judgment and that condemnation, part of the fear and trembling of talking about it this way is that as a Christian, I recognize that condemnation is is what I deserve. And so even, and, I, and this is and maybe just part of the struggle is that even as we look for vindication from those who are enemies to us, who, who have wronged us in the ways that James is talking about here in chapter five, we also recognize the ways, hopefully we recognize the ways that we have wronged others and we deserve a, a similar judgment against us for the ways that we have caused injustice for others, however that looks. And so, I mean, there's, I guess, does that make sense what I'm, what I'm getting at, Pastor mm-hmm. Heidi? That mm-hmm. sort of, um, we're, we're in both places at the same time to a certain degree. And so it, it's, at least I think for many today, and I'm not sure why this is, but we have a harder time sometimes putting ourselves in the shoes of the psalmist who says, Lord, vindicate me. I mean, I, I know 
in my own mind, it's hard for me to pray that sometimes. Lord, I've been righteous, vindicate me. How, how do I get to say that? That's that's hard, and I'm not sure why that is. Mm-hmm. But I have a much easier time putting myself in the shoes of King David, for example, in Psalm 51, and saying, I've sinned against you, and you only make me clean, purge me with hyssop. I, I don't know. Help help me out with some of that, Pastor Heidi. I think part of it is, is that we have this, how do I want to say this? We have this kind of general idea of sin in mind most of the time. Like, I am guilty of all sins in the sense that I have done, and it's, I don't, I'm trying to make, make this clear, and I don't want to be misunderstood. Whereas the problem is not that we are, we are guilty of sin in a generic sense. We are guilty of sins in a specific sense. There are things that we have done, but there are also sins that we have not committed. Okay, you know, you know, if you haven't physically murdered anyone, you know, th- you haven't committed that particular sin. Yes, of course, we say anger is akin to murder, but that's it's a little bit different, you know. And so I think when we think of sin in the very general, very vague sense, we cannot understand how David could say, I am innocent, I am righteous in this matter, please give me justice. You know, because there are actually occasions where we haven't done anything wrong or we've done the right thing according to the Lord, and yet we still suffer for it. Do you know what I mean? I think so. And and I I appreciate you talking about that, this generic idea of being a sinner. And I do think that this is something that we've, we can fall into very easily when we confess within the the worship service, I, a poor, miserable sinner. And again, not to misspeak, there's nothing wrong with that confession to recognize that, that at my core, I'm corrupt. I'm a rebel. I'm an enemy of God. And before I've even done anything, that's true of me. That There's nothing wrong with that confession. But when we never take the time to think about specific sins, we, we do lose something of this, this matter of, of judgment and vindication. And, and, and I think we end up, we end up, dis, or uh, what's the right word? Um, uh, we, we're, we're distilling it down to something and we, we water it down, I think is what I'm trying to say. We water down the concept of sin. Well, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. And, and it ends up being sort of, well, you know, who cares? Right. Which is, is never the attitude that a Christian wants to have uh, concerning sin. There are going to be cases where where we will be faced with such a tough situation where we we honestly may not know what the right thing is to do, and and we 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 think well, if I go that way, there's a chance I may fall into sin, and if I go that way, I might fall into sin that way too. But not in every case. In, in a lot of cases, there is a definite right and wrong, and, and we go that way. And when we've gone the way that the Lord has directed and we're sinned against, that's that's where we can pray this prayer for, for vindication and to take comfort in what James is giving us here. Does that follow along with what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly the point. Um, that when we think of it in, in those specifics and we and we and we and when we don't think of it in generic terms, we are able to say, you know, this is a case where I need justice because, you know, I haven't done anything wrong, David says, and yet I have still suffered for it. You know, why do the, the wicked become wealthier and wealthier while the righteous suffer? You know, and so give me justice, Lord, in this situation, um, because I know what is right and I have done what is right as far as I'm able to at least, and yet I still suffer as if I have done evil. When we think of evil in that generic sense, we lose that sense of what is right and what is wrong. Hmm. Right. And, and we need we need that specific sense. I think, so. I mean, and, uh, as you were talking, I mean, I heard you, I don't know if you were doing, you probably were doing it on purpose. Psalm, Psalm 73 particularly comes sure. to mind where where the, the psalmist talks about exactly what you're saying. Look how the, the wicked prosper. And, and it, it doesn't really come clear to him in that particular solve until he goes into the sanctuary of God and he sees their end. I mean, it's, it is, it is a fantastic Psalm just for, and I, I, we, I know we talked about it earlier in this study in the book of James, particularly in chapter one, where, where the Lord is the one who vindicates his people. Uh, the, the other, and again, this is maybe 
perhaps I don't intend to take us too far afield, but maybe an, another reason sometimes we're a little afraid of talking this way is because we do recognize even when someone has sinned against us in a horrible way, and we know that what they have done is unjust towards us and we need the Lord to vindicate us, we also recognize that within us lies the same capability of sin and there but for the grace of God, I would go as well. Right. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, we don't want to turn this into a, a kind of self-righteousness or something like that, which, of course, is always a temptation for us as sinners. But but at the same time, we can take that to such an extreme and, you know, and take a kind of, I don't know how you want to put it, a, a kind of false niceness about it that we don't actually call on God to do anything about it at all. We say, oh, well, he's a sinner. I'm a sinner. He's done something terrible against me, but maybe I could have done the same thing too. So I'm just going to kind of let it go and just kind of roll over and take it, you know, but that's not what God is calling us to do. That's not what long suffering is. Long suffering is turning to the Lord, calling on him in the midst of evil that I am actually, you know, enduring and leaving it to him to do something about it. You know, because when we when we get caught up in that kind of I'm a sinner, he's a sinner, so I'm not going to even pray about it, um, then we lose something of what it means for God to be just, for God to be righteous. And, and we lose that looking forward to the justice that he's promising us on the last day when Christ returns. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Thursday, July 2nd. We are looking at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12 with Pastor Zelwyn Heidi. Pastor Heidi serves at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. Pastor Heidi, prior to the break, we, we've been talking about patience, this long suffering that Christians have as they go through evil right now, waiting for the Lord's second coming, particularly looking for the justice that he is going to bring on that day when he, as a just God, will set everything right for his people who have received evil in this life. That's what we're looking forward to. And so James says, be patient, establish your hearts. He does He does say that it's coming soon. It's at hand. And, and that then is a basis for the way Christians are to speak to each other, to treat one another here right now. And so in verse nine, we get, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. What sort of grumbling and judgment does James have in mind here? I think what he has in mind here is this notion that we sometimes get in the midst of suffering where we, we kind we kind of become grumpy for the lack of a better way of putting it, <laughs> um, because suffering is hard. Okay, And then when we talk about suffering in the Bible or suffering or enduring evil, we don't want to make it sound like it's an easy thing to do. Okay, It is hard. It is something that we actually have to physically endure. You know, And nobody likes to endure anything. We just kind of want it to be over. And because we want it you know, in our flesh to be over, it becomes very easy to take out that frustration, especially the frustration of having to wait on one another. You know, to, to start backbiting, to start, you know, snipping at one another and to grumble against one another because, well, we're tired of waiting, you know. And so that is our real temptation in the midst of suffering. Wouldn't you agree? So the, the matter of, of grumbling then is, is maybe a, a, a wider idea that in general, 
having to be long suffering makes us grumpy. Yeah, I, I, I know I've been I've been grumpy the last <laughs> three and a half months during this pandemic, and that's not even as I mean that's not suffering like James is talking about necessarily. Right. I mean, yeah, so we're we're grumpy, we're we're irritable, we we do begin to grumble at each other, but I, I also think that we could, and I think James gets a bit more specific too. With a matter that he's brought up several times in this epistle, the matter of of judgment, he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Mm-hmm. I think with, within this suffering that we would endure, particularly as we look for justice, the temptation is to begin to judge one another and to do so prematurely and to do so with another standard in mind other than the one that God has given. And we we do, I think we begin to accuse each other of injustices where perhaps injustice hasn't actually been committed because in this long suffering, we we want that justice. And so in some way, we're going to try to bring it ahead of time. True. No, that makes, makes perfect sense because, you know, well, and I think as you point out, accusing each other of things perhaps that we haven't even done, you know, that is part of grumbling against one another. This And again, it goes back to this idea of a generic sense of sin. Uh, you know, if I am just kind of saying we're all sinners and I'm still looking for some kind of outlet, some kind of justice in the midst of my suffering, you know, maybe I will start to go after someone for something they, you know, maybe they didn't say something clearly, or maybe they said it in a way that I didn't particularly like. You know, the Internet is, is notorious for this kind of uh, grumbling against one another, you know, that I... I take what you have written and I say, oh, well, do you actually mean something like this? And I take it to an extreme that the other person never did. So, I mean, it is a sinning against one another uh, because we are looking for some kind of righteousness, some kind of justice, even in the midst of our suffering, right? Right. And so then the do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. So when we engage in this sort of grumbling, or judgment against a, a brother, someone, and I think that's that's an important. We've heard James speak of brothers regularly throughout mm-hmm. this epistle. He's he's talking to fellow Christians, uh, where we grumble against someone else who's waiting for justice, just like we are. James says that will result in judgment against you. Actually, right. how does how does that work, Pastor Heidi? Well, I mean, this is the the plain words of Christ. You know, judge not, lest ye be judged. I mean, it, it really it really is as straightforward as that to to bring to try to claim for yourself this kind of judgment in a place where you have no right to do so is to invite the judgment of God upon you because you are taking upon yourself something that properly belongs to God. Right. Yeah. And, and that's where James goes. He, he says at the end of verse nine, behold, the judge is standing at the door, and, and there, in the ESV at least, the word judge is capitalized, and rightly so. Here's here's one of those places, and it, it, I don't know the last time I, I mentioned this, but the book of James does not mention Jesus by name all that often. But this is definitely one of those places where words like Lord or judge here are specifically referring to Jesus, and, and here James pictures Jesus as that judge on the last day, now as not not only a comfort for those who are in need of vindication, but here as a, a warning again for those who would seek vindication somewhere else, it sounds like. Right. Yeah. And I mean, this it really is taking upon yourself something that does belong to God, you know, to try to make yourself the capital J judge and to judge the hearts of others, especially the hearts of your fellow Christians, I mean, you are going to bring judgment upon yourself. There really just is no if and or but about it. You are doing something that you ought not to be doing, brothers, by judging and biting against one another in this way. Uh, a, a great temptation for all of us in times of suffering. So James then will also give us the positive example. We see him do this regularly. Where he'll give a, a negative example and then the positive example. And he starts, he says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, uh, we'll talk specifically about Job a little bit more in a bit, but but first, James mentions the prophets. Who who's he got in mind, perhaps, of of these prophets who are examples of suffering 
and patience? Well, I mean, all of them, really. <laughs> and I, what I mean by that is that every prophet that we meet, I mean, pretty much every prophet that we meet in the Old Testament is facing opposition to his message. Okay. Whatever form that opposition might take is kind of where it, you know, goes one way or another. Sometimes it's just, you know, verbal opposition. Sometimes it's actually physical violence. Um, and many of them are actually put to death as a result of their message. But yet in the face of all of this opposition, you know, like Zechariah, who was murdered between the, the altar and the, the doorway or whatever, as, as Christ mentions, um, in the, even despite all of this opposition which they are facing, yet they still trust in God above all things. You know, they still are patient. They still proclaim that word faithfully, saying exactly what God wants them to say, even though they suffer as a result of it. I mean, you can think of Jeremiah, for example, being thrown down into the pit because of the message which he proclaims, and yet still being faithful to that message. You can think of Ezekiel, you know, even enduring the things that God is telling him to do, you know, to like lay on his side, to go around naked, you know, all of these sorts of things. But he's doing all of it faithfully because he is patient. He is long-suffering. He knows that God is going to take care of him and that God will give him the things that he needs. Now, what what about the idea here that James brings up for us as an example? To we're, we're speaking here of the prophets as examples, or to mm-hmm. use other terminology, we're saints as examples. Mm-hmm. Sometimes this is is language that makes Lutherans a bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the right understanding of using saints as examples? Yeah, and when we say saints as examples, of course, we're talking about specific people rather than saints generally. You know, we need to make that clear sometimes. And I think the reason why we get uncomfortable is because when we start talking about saints specifically, it starts to sound Roman Catholic. And maybe that's the reason why we get uncomfortable. But it's okay to think of the saints as examples, to look at the things that someone has done in the past and to actually try to imitate what they are doing. You know, this faithful man of God or this faithful woman of God acted this way in this situation, and that can give me some guidance to how I can act in a similar situation. And this language is actually very biblical. I mean, Paul himself says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. So, I mean, to imitate the saints, to imitate the faithful who have gone before us, especially in similar situations, is a godly thing. The, the problem comes in is when we start to make them into something more than that, which is what we're always afraid of doing, but we shouldn't be afraid of doing that. Right. So a couple of thoughts there. Just one of them, you know, when we think of the saints as examples, one of the encouragements that the Lutheran confessions give us in this is to do so according to our vocation. Mm-hmm. So there there are certainly some examples, for example, the prophets here, whose suffering and patience in the midst of opposition is commended to every Christian. There, there are other cases where for example, King David or King Solomon, in the ways that they exemplified being a godly ruler that would be good for, for say, a, a world leader to emulate, whereas I as a pastor might not emulate that in my own vocation. And so we, we do, we do look at these according to vo- vocations at times. So I, it, it would be good and right of me as a, a father to look to the example of Joseph, the caretaker of our Lord Jesus Christ, or, or for a mother to look at, at the example of Mary or of any Christian to look at, at the Magnificat that Mary sang and the response that she gave to the angel Gabriel before that, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. That's a confession of faith that belongs on every Christian's lips. And, and so to, to see those examples in the scriptures and to make use of them is not a is not a misuse of it at all. As, as you said, there are certainly errors that we must avoid, but that doesn't negate the right use of these examples of the saints. I'll even go a little, you know one step further and say, you know, we can take the stories of non-biblical saints and still learn something from them. And just to make it uh, Christmas in July here, you know, I'd refer to like say the the story of King Wenceslas. You know, a good King Wenceslas, as you always hear at Christmas. Um, of course, 
I think the way that his story can be applicable to us is he as a king, you know, having all of these rights, having all of this glory, all of this grandeur, yet lowers himself to carry wood and food to a poor man during one of the most you know, brutal days of the winter. You know, we can still gain something from that as Christians and to learn what it means for us, you know, for the first to be last, last to be first, to be a servant of all. So I think even looking at these non-biblical stories, we can still learn something from them and gain something from them so long as we don't take it too far, which is, you know, what we're always afraid of doing. Right. And I think, I mean, even in just a more basic level then, as you're talking about uh, King, good old King Wenceslas, just think of the the memories that we have and we share of the saints closest to us, our, right. our grandparents who are, are resting with Christ right now. And how often will we remember the example that they set for us in their church attendance or their service at their congregation? Those are, I mean, very simple examples of, of taking the example of a saint to heart and, and saying, Lord, help me to have that same kind of faith. Again, not, not putting them on, a, on some sort of unfair pedestal, seeing some sort of righteousness inherent in them, but recognizing how the Lord was at work in their life. The faith that they had showed forth in their works, as James said, and, and saying, Lord, help me to follow that example that they set of faithfulness. Can it be taken too far? Sure, which is, is where, and I, I think we should just mention briefly, one of the other examples of the saints, again, commended to us by the Lutheran confessions, is that we would look to them as examples of God's mercy and grace. You know, sure. recognize someone like St. Peter, the Lord forgave him after he denied Jesus three times. If that's the example given of the forgiveness of the Lord to Peter, then how much more is there the example of forgiveness to me as well? So there's there's many different good uses of of the saints without falling off in into a ditch and an error. Exactly. Yeah. But I think it's because, you know, we see that error which is committed with the saints and you know, you see people who pray to them or you know try to have them intercede for us or or anything like that. Things that we are not promised at all in the scriptures. And I think that's the reason why we get uncomfortable with this kinds of with this kind of language. But we don't have to be uncomfortable because, as, as we pointed out here in, in many different ways, there are good, biblical, godly ways to imitate the examples of those who have gone before us. Right, right. Now, now James will bring up specifically Job here in verse 11. He says, you've heard of the steadfast of Job, and, and he says before that we would consider that blessed. So again, help us, just give us a, a brief rundown again of this, the account of Job, mm-hmm. how we see his steadfastness, but also then how that shows, as James says, the purpose of the Lord, particularly his compassion and his mercy. Yeah. Job is kind of a, a complex character. Um, because, well, I mean, as, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, um, Job loses many, many things. He loses his possessions. He loses his uh, children. He loses his, um, his health. All because God, you know, permits these things to happen. Satan says, you know, I want to, you know, he, Satan says that Job only fears you because you've, you know, made things so easy for him. And so part of the, the whole message of the book of Job, of course, is the, the, the purposes of God and the things that we don't always understand. But Job, at least for a majority of the book, um, I do think there is a shift here, though, at least for a majority of the book, is presenting his case, you know, in accordance with his patience, saying, God has given me evil, you know, and so I'm going to endure it as someone who believes in God. Now, Job, towards the end of the book, somewhere around the chapter, I want to say 32 or 34, Um, because there's 40 chapters or 42 chapters in the book, Um, Job starts to see himself as being vindicated against God. He starts to think of himself as being righteous, you know, against God even, that God is the one who is in the wrong and that God needs to justify himself to Job. And this is where Job falls into error. Yet, um, God still shows him mercy 
by bringing him to repentance, which Job does, and restoring him to the things that, you know, all the things that he had lost. So I do think in the, the, the complex story of Job, you see both things at work. Not only um, Job's patience, which he does have for a very long time, but also God's mercy towards one who needs to receive his mercy. And I think, I mean, both of those things are important as we consider Job and then our own remaining steadfast under suffering and in times of patience, that it's not simply looking to Job or the saints as the example of faith and striving to have that grade of faith, because we do see, I mean, even in the example of Job, as you said, times where that faith seems to falter, but throughout it all, to recognize the compassion and the mercy of the Lord. That, that reminds me a lot of that Old Testament confession of faith. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And, and to recognize all of that, I think that's, that's the full picture that we've been talking about of this matter of Christ's second coming, is that, yes, he's coming with justice, with judgment, with vindication, but he's also coming with compassion and mercy. And James holds all of those things together beautifully for us here to give us this steadfastness, this patience during times of suffering. Yeah. And I think because we want to separate those things, you know, we want to take justice out of mercy or we want to take um, compassion out of vindication. Um, that's when we end up falling into error. I really do think that that's the case. Because we should hold all of these things together and realize that all of them together show the hope that we have. You know, we're not looking for just a kind of generic compassion as if God was going to not give us justice or if just just meant that he was not being compassionate. No, God is going to give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. But he's also showing compassion on those elect because, you know, he is steadfast. He is faithful to his promises. He is going to do what he says he's going to do. And so we can take comfort in all of it. We don't have to separate it out thinking that we're somehow being truer to God. You know, let God be God, as you said. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I mean, it's it's wonderful to see how James does hold all of it together for us, where where perhaps sometimes we would separate it, or or and and not that there's not a time to to make a specific use of that teaching, but to recognize that how it does all come together, and I think it, you know it all comes together in, in what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We see the the justice, the mercy, the compassion, the vindication all together in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And on the last day, that will be fully delivered to us when the Lord puts every enemy, every last enemy under Jesus' feet on that day. And so, I mean, it is a day of great hope, of comfort, of joy for us as Christians during this time of steadfastness in the midst of, of evil and suffering. Now, Pastor Ray, we've got just about five minutes here on the morning, and we've got one verse left, and it's verse 12. And, and James says, but above all, so this must be important. And, and now it seems he, he sort of swerves. I don't know if I want to, I shouldn't say that about the inspired writers of the scriptures. But, but he does, it seems, change topics on us. What's going on with verse 12? Yeah, talking about swearing, I think, I, I think it's related in the sense of, you know, don't give in to this kind of grumbling, you know, this kind of backbiting. Uh, this impatience, because, you know, when do, you know, sometimes we take swearing as a way of dealing with difficult situations. You know, I say, I'm going, I swear that I will do this to take care of this. You know, it's, it really does come back to a sense of taking things upon myself that don't really belong to me. You know, thinking that I'm going to be the assurance that I need because I have made this oath, you know. Which is why here I think James goes on to quote Jesus, you know, from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be, no be no, anything more than this comes from evil. Right. Right. Once again, we do see G, or James quoting from Jesus, particularly on the Sermon on the Mount. This has been a feature of the epistle throughout. Very, very clear here, almost almost verbatim what you get in Matthew's gospel. And I think the connection you made is a, a good one, particularly as James closes it, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Very similar to what he said about you may not be judged earlier concerning the matter of grumbling. 
and and oaths, swearing are one way that we might seek to take what doesn't belong to us, that vindication that belongs to God and make it our own. And so James here warns against that. A, a, a good a good connection, I think, and a way to, to wrap these things, put these things together. Pastor Heidi, with just about three minutes here on the morning, any points we missed or, or wrap things up for us? Give us the, the good news from the book of James. <laughs> well, there's always good news in the book of James. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to be too hard on James. All right. Um, I think the, what we've been hammering on is kind of really the, the main point of this passage. And it really is something that I think ties the whole book together. Because, you know, when we're talking about, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk and being the Christians that we have been called to be, which really is the main message of the book of James, you know, when we keep that in mind, then we will know what it means to be patient in the face of evil. We will know what it means to be patient with one another in the face of evil. And we will know what it means to wait on the Lord, like the farmer uh, who waiting for his crops. You know, so all of these things are tying together. And James is, you know, very, you know, colorful, very powerful call to be the people that God has created us to be. So wait on him, Christians. You know, this is why he emphasizes brother over and over and over again. Wait on him, brothers, because the Lord is going to do this and he will take care of us. Pastor Zelwyn Heidi is the pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota, also one of the hosts of the podcast, A Word Fitly Spoken, helping us today with James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Pastor Heidi, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. Be patient, brothers. The Lord is at hand. His second coming is near. Wait for him. Don't don't try to take justice into your own hands. You and I make lousy judges, but the Lord does not. He will make everything right at his return on the last day, as he's already shown you. In his own death and resurrection, he knows how to make your sin right, how to forgive your sin in his compassion and mercy. And all of that is coming for you on the last day. So be patient, be steadfast during this time of evil and suffering. As you have the example of the prophets of Job in the scriptures who endured, to whom the Lord was merciful and gracious, constantly working his purposes. Don't try to take God's job. Let him do his job trust in that vindication, in that righteousness that he freely gives to you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.